we're going to begin and looking in at some chapter one and then going for chapter two for a while and then we'll see where where this takes us in Jeremiah chapter one we talked about it last last week verse five Jeremiah chapter one verse five before I that's God speaking formed you in the womb I knew you and before you were born I consecrated you I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations the last verse of chapter 1 verse 19 they will fight against you but they will not overcome you for I am with you to deliver you declares the Lord Chapter 2. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember concerning your devotion of your youth, the love of your patros, your following after me in the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of its harvest. All who ate of it became guilty. Evil became upon them, declares the Lord. Verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Now as we go through, as we go through Jeremiah, it was basically written to the two southern kingdom, the two southern tribes, Judah and, and Benjamin. But when he talks here of Jacob and of Israel, they're interchangeable terms. I, I told you about being raised in a Baptist church, and then when I got to college, I finally found out that the Old Testament, the Jews, the children of Israel, Jacob's seed, they were all talking about the same people. <laughs> that was a revelation to me. So let's remember when we go through there that this is talking about the same people. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord, What injustice did your fathers find in me? That's God asking them. When they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty, they did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, and through a land of drought and of deep darkness? through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. You know the story. God led them out of Egypt across the Red Sea into going into the promised land. But because of their disobedience, they wandered for 40 years, but he ultimately took them in with Joshua he took them into a land, the land of 
milk and honey, which is an agricultural term. He's just saying it's a land of plenty there. So, verse 7, I brought you into a fruitful land to eat its fruits and its good things. And you came and defiled my land and my inheritance you made an abomination. Now, Pastor Bobby has been teaching us and leading us that through Abraham, he promised three things. Three things. <laughs> he promised a land, some seed, and a blessing. He gave them, he said, we're going to this land. You'll be many, he told Abraham, as the sands of the sea, Moses said it was over 600,000 men, women, children, and the others, which we estimate now to be about 2 million people. He brought them into this place. And as we talked about last week, Joshua told them that you're not going to be able to do all the things that you said you would do. And he said, yes, you are. <laughs> we, we, we will. And Joshua said, no, you won't. And when Jeremiah's writing this, they're in trouble, big time trouble. We talked last week that Manasseh, the kings before him, Josiah's great-grandfather, he had offered children to Molech, <clears throat> which God calls the greatest abomination. He made them go through the fire. Then we have verse 8. The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied of Baal and walked after things that did not profit. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit. This is the Lord speaking to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. What do you think the Lord would say today? Have we grieved him? Why aren't we in tears? Okay. In 1987... There was an opening on the Supreme Court. And Ronald Reagan nominated Judge Robert Bork to the Supreme Court. There was a young man running for the presidency at that time. He was also chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And for 12 days, they grilled Judge Bork, who was 
a dean of Yale Law School who had been an appellate judge and whom Reagan had appointed to the Supreme Court. And it didn't happen. One reason it didn't happen is that Judge Bork said Roe v. Wade should never have been. That young man that presided over this time together was none other than Joe Biden. This is an article from NPR. Biden said, I have to choose between running for president and doing my job to keep the Supreme Court from moving in a direction that I believe to be harmful. This is 35 years ago, 1987. As a law professor, Bork was criticized. He had criticized the legal reasoning behind the Supreme Court's decision on civil rights and abortion. Republicans saw this nomination as a chance to reshape the courts and public policy. And our Democrat friends were scheduled to stop him. Hearings for the Supreme Court picked up a couple of days with very little revealed about the nominee's work, but Bork, when Biden holding the gavel, the Judiciary Committee went on for 12 long days. There will be other opportunities for me to campaign for president, but there will not be many other opportunities to influence President Reagan's choice for the Supreme Court. Now, the, one of the reasons that he dropped out of the race was he was caught. He had plagiarized some stuff, and so it was either he either needed to redeem himself and defend himself or do his job on the, on the Judiciary Committee. People have argued that Biden did was able to do more for the progressive causes by sinking Bork than he would have been able to do as president. It shaped the court for 30 years on everything from saving Roe v. Wade to gay marriage. This is an article written by NPR, and it was written in 1919, but it was, go, excuse me, 2019. But it was, it, was, it was bringing up stuff that happened in 1987. In 1996, 10 years later, 25 years ago, Bork wrote this book, and you've heard me talk about it, and I've taught it to some regard in here. Slouching Toward Gomorrah, Modern Liberalism and America's Decline, and he nails it. It's a hard book to read. You have to read it in one hand and have a dictionary in the other hand. Uh, it's just, he, it, it's a scholar's work. It's, it's very, uh, I've, I've had problems with it myself. But he starts off with a poem that was written by William Yates. And the latter part of this writing that he says, he says, it's moving slowly thighs while all about it reels 
shadows of the indignant dead uh, desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know what 20 centuries of stony sleep were vexed into nightmares by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast in hour come around at last slouches, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. Then he goes in and writes, and he took, takes the title of his book from this poem. He said, Yeats wrote this in 1919, and he has foresawn the 20th century experience of the blood-dimmed tide. He had hardly foreseen the passion, the intensity, the uncoupling from morality that shred the fabric of Western culture. The rough beast of decadence, a long time in gestation, having reached its maturity in the last three decades, now send us slouching toward our new home, not Bethlehem, but Gomorrah. His book uh, says that there are reasons that we're slouching toward Gomorrah. And he was right on 25 years ago, and we can see what he said is true. He calls it intellectuals, the universities, the people who supposedly know. The Supreme Court as an agent of modern liberalism. The collapse of popular culture, music, movies, television. Just think of what it's been in the last 25 years. Where you watch TV and enjoyed it to now, there's nothing on it to watch. Case of censorship. <laughs> Last week we're gonna have a a new department that's gonna tell us what the news says. The rise of crime and illegitimacy and welfare. Killing for convenience. Abortion. Assisted suicide. Euthanasia. The politics of sex. Radical feminist assault on American culture. And last but not least, the decline of religion in America. What did Jeremiah say? The prophets didn't, the priests didn't say, where's the Lord? Mm. The truth is that despite the statistics on church going, the United States is a very secular nation. For the most part, does not take religion seriously. Not only may the statistics overtake the religious reality, people may be telling posters what they think makes a good impression, but the statistics say nothing of the quality or depth of American religion, religious beliefs. 
if a church changes doctrine and structure to follow its members' views, it's difficult to see the value of that church as it relates to faith. <coughs> Religion must claim to be true and in their essentials to uphold principles that are universal and eternal. It is not helpful that the ideas of salvation and damnation and sin and virtue once played the roles in Christian belief are now almost never heard in mainline churches. The sermons and homilies that now almost exclusively about love, kindness, and eternal life. That may, regard, may be regarded particularly by the sentimental as an improvement in our humanness, indeed in civility, but it alters the teaching of Christianity and makes religion less of a moral force. Judge Bork was right. Monday morning, we all woke up to the fact that Politico had released a draft by Alito on Roe v. Wade. We don't know the end of that now. But it stirred up a lot of stuff. And unless you've been under a rock for the last week, you know where it is. I mean, the justices of the Supreme Court can't even stay in their own home. They can't hear the chanting and the roar and everything else. I, it's appalling. It's absolutely appalling. There's stuff going around on, on Facebook in particular. That seems to be where you can vent and not have any recourse. Uh, I got into a little of this in my life's work experience with, with email. You know, I'd get an email about some of my crew and it was cop he copied a dozen people and saying this, 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 this. About the second time I got that type of email, I walked down the hall. We were just about three doors down the hall. And I said, Mike, if you got a problem, let's us, you and I talk about it. You don't have to send it to everybody around the world. But he didn't have to confront me, you see. He didn't have to see me and hear my rebuttal to what he was saying. And more times than not, he didn't have the facts. That's the same thing that's happening today. We have people that use Facebook as a forum. And folks, if you've got something to praise God about, put it on Facebook. But if you've got a beef, please keep your mouth shut. It doesn't work. Nobody's convinced on Facebook. But since this ruling or leak has come from the Supreme Court, now everybody 
that is pro-life has a something to say. And and I don't have Facebook, but I look at Veltus. <laughs> and I've seen this on three or four cases where they say, um, I'm pro-choice and pro-life. Uh-uh. You're one or the other, you know. I'm pro-choice or pro-life. And he goes on to say, I'm Barbara. Her 20-week-old anatomy scan that the infant she has been so excited to bring in the world has developed without life-sustaining organs. I'm Susan, who was sexually assaulted on her way home from work, only to come from a, a horrific realization her assailant, she was pregnant. I'm pro-Theresa, who hemorrhaged due to a placenta abortion. I'm pro-Kathy, who the innocence ripped away from her by someone who's been able to trust her 11-year-old innocence. And so on, and so on, and so on. Well, what's the truth? Abortion for statistics, after my little research, are hard to come by. Part of the reason is the reporting is so crazy. Um, and now we've got a new thing. An abortion pill that you can get through the mail and take care of your baby. This Facebook post doesn't ring true with the statistics that we have. Now, be careful when you go to Google <laughs> because you can get all kind of statistics. But one of the major forces um, that the pro-life people do, and it's fair, is the Guttermacher Institute. They've been doing it for years in, these, in this battle. And the reason I say that, I looked at a thing on Planned Parenthood yesterday or day before about the birth control pill. And Planned Parenthood said in their online thing, it says, don't go to a crisis pregnancy center because they're evil and they're gonna to try to talk you out of this. So you need to get your sources right. I've printed off a few copies that are on this table up there about, this is from 2016, which is not recent, but it's the reason I could find about why people have an abortion. Rape, three-tenths of one percent. Incest, three-hundredths of one percent. Physical life of the mother, one-tenth of one percent. Health of the mother, eight-tenths of one percent. Fetal health, 
0.5, excuse me, 0 0.5, 0 0.5 of 1%. Mental health of the mother from 0.1 to 0.8%. Elective, 98%. Of the elective, 32%, too young, immature, not ready for responsibility. 30% economic, I can't afford it. 16% avoid adjusting life, to avoid adjusting life. 13% single mother are in a poor relationship. 7% enough children already. We first heard that it's not a child. It's just a group of cells. And it doesn't matter to anything. And then our Christ-Priest pregnancy places started doing ultrasounds. And they show the face and hands and feet of a baby. And the fact came out that they feel pain, have a heartbeat, all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, that argument went away. And now we're talking about, well, it's my body. It's my choice. True. But there's a time to think about that before of the baby. Uh, I see Cindy. Cindy, I probably should have talked to you. <laughs> this is also from 2016, more than half of the U.S. abortion patients were in their 20s. Twenty to 24 percent, excuse me, 28 ages 20 to 24 were about 25 percent. Ages 25 to 29 were 27%. Adolescents made up 12%. 18 to 19-year-olds were 8. 15 to 17-year-olds were 3. White patients accounted for 39% of abortion. Black patients, 28. Hispanic, 25. 17% of abortion were from mainline Protestant. 13 from evangelical Protestant. 24% from Catholic. And 38% reported no affiliation. Seventy-five percent of abortion patients having an income below the federal poverty level 
At that time, it was $16,000. This kind of floored me. 16% of patients who obtain abortions in the United States were born outside of the United States. Well, it's in the news. You need to be informed. You need to know what all the noise is about because we've got from now to the end of July, excuse me, to the end of June, if the Supreme Court decides doesn't decide to, to give their ruling before that. It may be what the draft said. It may not be what the draft said. But everybody that I listen to, and I'm biased, I have a bias, I admit that, says that it was a wrong ruling to begin with. Fifty years ago, it was wrong. It was made up. And if you, if you think about what's going on in our world today, you can say, well, I kind of understand that. Because we've talked about that. Where is truth? Truth is relative. <laughs> Depends on who's talking, who's saying it. I've told you and told you that truth that we can hold on to is right here. And that's it. That's it. Jeremiah says the priest did not did, the priest did not say where is the Lord and those who handled the law did not know me the rulers also transgressed against me well we've talked about us being a Christian nation and we know that that's probably not true mainstream mainstream denominations and that kind of bugged me and so I let my mouse do the walking and the largest mainstream mainline it says churches are sometimes referred to as the seven sisters of American Protestantism the United Methodist Church Evangelical Lutheran Church, the Episcopal Church, Presbyterian Church USA, American Baptist Church, and the United Church of Christ, and the Christian Church, which is the Disciples of Christ. The Methodist Church has 6.3 million members. The Lutherans, 3.1 million. Episcopal, 1.8 million. Presbyterian USA, 1.2 million. American Baptist Church, 1.1 million. United Church of Christ, 800,000. Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, 380,000. Most of these people have taken a different stance on abortion, a different stance on gay marriage, and they're dying on 
the vine. People of faith want something to stand for. Now, we're not Lily White, the Southern Baptist or not. We are a cooperating church, but we have autonomy. That is, we do as we want to do. We send some money to the cooperative program. We send some money to uh, our, our local morale uh, association. But other than that, we control our own destiny. But when you look up the SBC, they have, we have 40, almost 48,000 churches, cooperating churches. We have 14 million total membership. We have 4 million that participate each week. The delta there is 10, 10 million. We have 14 on roll. We have 4 million. If you look at our own church, we have, we have a lot of people on road. But you, we've got about two to 300 faithful. But God's blessing. If you were here Wednesday night, you heard Pastor Bobby talk about some of the blessings that were, are happening. And we're very grateful but we need to continue to pray and we need to continue to work. Uh, the abortion issue has been with us, will be with us. It's just fresh in the news and it's, it's being perverted by people who don't know what they're talking about. If our research is correct, the people that are doing all jumping up and down at the at the um, at the church at the residences of the Supreme Court justices are being paid. They didn't say it that way. They said they're getting a stipend. What is a stipend? You're getting paid. Human nature hadn't changed since Jeremiah. And the Lord is eternal. And he is God. And as Isaiah said, and there is no other. And just like he used Assyria to take the northern kingdom into captivity. And later on he used the Babylonians to take the southern kingdom into captivity we're going to have to face the music. It may not be in our lifetime because God says he's long, he's long-suffering. And the reason I think that we haven't had judgment already is the people in this room. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. I, I know that. But I want you to know what's going on. And I, th 
I've asked Philip, I said, am I out of order in even bringing this up today? <laughs> you know, if I am, forgive me. But I thought we needed to say it. We needed to say it. Amen. And, and, and there's a lot going on in this release. Politico which showed their true colors. They're a leftist organization which showed their true colors. If it were me and I was editor of something and they brought that to me, I said, well, let's, let's just sit on it. But they had their reasons for letting it go. And we'll have to see. We don't know. Uh, uh, John Roberts has come out and both Clarence Thomas has too says that it won't deter them from their goal but it's never happened in the 200 and some years of the Supreme Court and it happened this time I don't know well let me stop and then ask you if you got any questions or want to say anything yourself, I open the floor. I think you covered it pretty well, Bill. Thank you, Ben. Just, God is God, folks, and He's not going to permit it. Like I say, uh, He's in control. He's in control. As we go through the book of Jeremiah, I, I've told Art already, I said, go back and pick up chapter two next week because I've, <laughs> I've kind of butchered it. Uh, but, but, but you see, you see where we are and we need to pray earnestly for our people that are trying to do right. We've got from now to November to maybe right the ship a little bit. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. I don't know. But since this leak, our friends on the left are going to do anything they can do to unright the ship. Just like Biden said in 1987, I can do more to derail President Reagan's nomination than I can for running for president. He also said, I'll have other opportunities to run, run for president. Okay. So next week, Art, I'll pick up where I left off and we'll, we'll, go, from, we'll go from there. No questions? You might inquire. Mighty quiet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um.